This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to our newest season of Humane Podcast in 2021. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and this is Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to our show. Welcome, listeners, back to the Humane Podcast. Today, we are talking about language, the language that we speak and you listen to here on the show. You hear from very popular apps like Clubhouse that are going audio only. So today, we actually have a very exciting founder, Vasco Pedro, who's the CEO and co-founder of Unbabble. They're an exciting startup split between San Francisco and Lisbon, Portugal, and they're helping with the future of translation for language. Vasco, thanks so much for joining us on Humane. Dave, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I know uh, 2020 and 2021 have been hyper growth years for your startup because as we know, as we moved into a digital only and digital first world, language has become even more important to manage online. Can you start sharing with our listeners here a little bit about your company, the history, and why is now such an important time for language? Certainly. So I think translation and language has been a task that humans have been doing since you know the beginning, really. And it's largely an unsolved task. And Babel really comes to life. Uh, we started in 2013. And I think we hit it at the right moment where artificial intelligence was starting to be useful for human translators, where I think if you, if you tried to do in Babel three or four years before, and you would take the output of a machine translation and give it to a human translator, the first thing they would do is erase all of it, right? And, and we kind of came to this problem at a point where these two worlds now had enough overlap that you could really leverage AI to start enhancing productivity of humans. And so that's how we started thinking about it as well. You know, until now, translation has always been a service, a human service. How is AI going to transform this and really take it to the next level, both in terms of speed, scalability, and even quality and reliability? And so when we started 
the first thing we did was say, look, uh, we need to create a new version of a translation service that blends artificial intelligence and humans in a number of different varieties to provide just this, this very simple uh, straightforward API for translation. That was kind of the original idea. And um, my background and my co-founder are both in NLP. So I, I did a PhD at Carnegie Mellon in natural language processing. And João, uh, my co-founder and CTO, did his PhD in mission translation at UPenn. And so we had been thinking about this for a few years on problems related to language. And, and when we started this, it kind of made sense of, hey, machine translation is not there. It's not going to be there really for the next you know, a few years at least, and it needs a very uh, heavy amount of human intervention to be usable. And especially, we started thinking at the time that, you know, rather than going on a consumer side like Google Translate and other machine translation engines, we wanted to enable enterprises because we felt that there was a very big need for an enterprise-grade solution that would enable scalability of different language processes. And our perspective evolved since then. I think that we started with this idea of like, let's replace the typical translation service with something better. But since then, we understood that actually translation is part of a bigger problem within companies. And, and the real problem, you know, translation is a solution for a problem, but the problem really comes from a basic fact, right? Which is, you know, every human pretty much speaks one language. Some humans speak two, very few speak more than two. And this idea that we're all going to speak the same language just is proven false over and over again. And so if that is the case, then we have this problem, which is you will always have humans speaking different languages. And as the world becomes more digital and where uh, when you have uh, physical barriers become less of an issue, then you know companies are pressured earlier to be able to serve multiple markets. And as you expand to multiple markets, you just face the fact that, well, people in that market will speak a different language and I need to be able to serve them. And there's this weird phenomenon going, well, not weird. I think it's just a phenomenon going on that is, in my perspective, potentially aligned along the same reasons why we're seeing a lot of polarization on opinions, which is in language, you know, when it comes to the internet, not so long ago, the vast, vast majority of content was English, right? And so everybody was kind of sharing the same content, right? You'd go out and you have the same sources of truth. You'd have the same sources of information. But actually, you look online right now, and English is counts for about 20% of content. And it's actually decreasing. It's going to expect it to bottom out at 10%. Because the vast majority of content that's created now is through social networks, and people do it in their native language. And so you look at in different countries, and what you see is users and consumers are really used to consuming information in their own language, whether it's news, whether it is you know what's going on. And with that comes the expectation that they should be able to consume services and goods in their native language from beginning to end. And so on one hand, it's easier to access a global market. On the other hand, there is an expectation of a hyper-localization and personalization of service according to that market, right? And so this creates an even bigger pressure for companies to be able to function in multiple languages. And as we're thinking about this, we're realizing, well, actually, you know, this happens across all of the use cases inside a company. I mean, the typical uh, use case of translation was in localization, and localization is typically applied more to marketing and product. You know, the product, the problems of how do I get people to know about me, and how do I get people to use my product. But actually, the same problems extend throughout all of the organization. You know, how do I support my customers once I have them? How do I sell my product? You know, how do I actually communicate internally as a team and, and really leverage talent globally? And the more we thought about that, the more we realized that. It's actually more than translation. It's really about language operations. It's how do I enable, how do I use LangOps 
as a way to empower different aspects of the business to function and scale across languages. And translation is a big part of that, and that's where we started. But you start seeing that there is other, a lot of other aspects that play a role in enabling you know, language operations to function and to affect all areas of the business. And so you know, after all of this evolution, what we're seeing is a, our goal is to build the language operations platform that enables every enterprise to seamlessly scale across languages. And that, you know, a big part of that is the full stack that we've built on translation and different components of AI, like, you know, quality estimation or um, anonymization or the actual interfaces for humans to translate and kind of all the different components. But the outcome of it is how do businesses leverage that to then scale seamlessly across languages? Your story, Vasco, really resonates with me because prior to the founding of Undabble, I was working at a company in Gainesville, Florida called University Transcription Services, where I was one of those transcriptionists that was dictating audio from lawyers and doctors, and that was helping me pay my way through college. So I, I got to see firsthand how prior to machine translation, it required very fast keyboard shortcuts and macros and, and dictation and, and adjusting in a manual process and how that's evolved. As you mentioned today, there's a, a myriad of services that are helping out. In fact, for the Humane Podcast, we're working on expanding into the Spanish vertical with Spanish channels. And so that's a very interesting project we've been going through, discovering how much can we automate, how much still requires the human element to augment the translation. So it's very fascinating. And I think my experience and hearing from you here on the show brings a big question about the future of jobs, the threat of AI, you know, what's happening as these jobs that I did a, a decade ago in college no longer exist, right? People are not manually doing the full translation. You, of course, you have behemoth companies like TransPerfect that are, are very focused in the enterprise space, but they are being disrupted, right, by technologies like that Unbabble is building. And so where do you see that going with new opportunities being created? for our future workforce? That's a great question. So our thesis is really that AI will have the biggest impact in areas that are highly commoditized and require a lot of human effort, right? That those are the, the low-hanging fruit. And certainly translation and transcription was one of them, and that's why we're seeing such impact, right? Because it is commoditized in the sense that a lot of humans can you know, acquire the knowledge and the skill set to do translation and to do transcription. And there's a fairly straightforward and there's a part that is particularly hard, right? And I think translation is a good example because it kind of expands and applies to other areas. In general, what we're seeing is overall AI is not replacing humans, is augmenting humans, right? And is enabling humans to be more productive is a tool so far, you know, until someone comes up with um, full AI, which I don't think we're anywhere close. I think different AIs will be tools to empower and increase productivity of humans. And one example, for example, uh, is that Unbabble, right? So a translator outside of Unbabble typically would do about 300 to 400 words an hour, you know, the old traditional way. And Unbabble now it does between 2,500 to 3,000 words an hour. Now, you can look at this from a value creation proposition, which is, you know, maybe before, if you were doing transcription, you'd have had to do all these manual things. And now you have a lot of different AI tools that maybe give you the first pass, maybe give you something that is very close to finished. But your job becomes more of an editor of that rather than the initial creator. And if you look at it from that perspective, it means that you can be responsible for a much higher amount of transcribed words, right? Which will still need some sort of human verification and correction and addition and, and tweaks, et cetera. But you can now say, well, you know, before 
I could, you know, I would be able to produce X, now I'm, I'm able to produce 5X, 10X, 20X. And as that grows, you can leverage some of that to transform that into, uh, you know, that value that you're creating in a better paying job, you know, in, in also in wealth is creating for the, the actual human component. So, you know, you will need a smaller amount of human effort per unit, but that human effort overall will be more valuable because it translates into a higher value. And we're seeing that at Embella as well, right? So this interplay between human and AI, I think, has already had a lot of impact. We'll continue to do so. But it's also not a zero, it's not a binary thing, right? It's not like, well, I used to do this thing and now it's done in a different way. It's, it's a gradual process that also enables humans to adapt to it and to really leverage it to then you know, generate more value. Like, and with this, what I mean by this is, let me give you an example. So if you take translation, translating something like a chat or you know, an email or a document, a legal document or an ad, they're very different things, right? And they require different amounts of human effort. So you could say that you know, for chat, for example, if we look inside of a Babel, when we, when we translate, when our customers use this to enable chat communication, the process, the way it works is humans are still involved in the process, but they're involved pretty much in terms of continuously training and retraining models. So they're, they're generating the high quality data that models need to continuously learn to then be able to do it in production. And it's not perfect, but it's enough to enable that communication. And so that's one extreme of the spectrum, right? But if you look at emails, just the fact that you now have multiple sentences instead of the art machine translation does it on a sentence per sentence level, it means that as you accumulate that, the probability of errors increases, and especially inconsistencies across different sentences and, and a few other specific types of errors. That in itself means that 70% of the emails that we translate require human correction afterwards. If you look at something like a legal document, 100% of the documents require human correction. And not only that, but you have much more of the traditional translation review. So you, a lot of times you have two humans looking at that. If you look at something like an ad, something that has a very strong creative component, you're now talking about transcreation. And you know that realm, for the most part, is still very much human, right? So you have this spectrum where... AI is kind of helping from the low-hanging fruit, but we're still far off from being able to really enable that across the entire set of channels. And so you have this varying amount of human effort required on different types. And I think this is the same that's happening, you know, across all really AI components that I see, even things like autonomous driving, right? I mean, you now are able to deal with a lot of the base cases, you know, in a highway and, you know, te- you, you know Tesla can drive in a highway. But as soon as you get to, a different situation, you might need a lot of human oversight because the AI won't be able to cope with it. And this blend, I think, is really the key. I don't see, unless you're talking about very basic repetitive tasks, I see the real value is in this interaction of being able to to give the kind of the, the, the boring tasks to AI and to let the human do the higher cognitive load function type of tasks. Obviously, this is a complicated topic because you know, like, even though I don't know pretty much anyone that likes to be doing road tasks as a human, you know, you, you talk about like a, I don't know, a cashier in a supermarket, it's no one's dream job, right? But if you just now said, you know, this is all replaced by AI, this would create, you know, a lot of pressure and stress in society. So we kind of know that the jobs that AIs are not so much replacing, but enabling humans to kind of go up the cognitive ladder it are typically jobs that Humans don't want to do it anyway, but they're kind of required in terms of the economy. And so I think that's that's the blend that I, that AI plus human can really help. 
And it's so fascinating to think about this blend because we've seen the last few years becoming conversational first societies. Content is no longer being streamed and consumed only as video, but we've gone audio first. And this is a global phenomenon. We've seen in Korea firsthand with Spoon Radio. We've seen in the United States with Clubhouse and its expansion, how now there's a lot of offline and online audio, both async and sync available, that is including access to global audiences. And to make that available, there will be different technologies to help improve that customer experience. And it sounds like the work that your company Unbabble is doing is assisting all elements of those audio. Yes. So, you know, when I was talking about language operations and kind of the different use cases uh, within the enterprise, we started by focusing on customer service. And the drive behind that was, well, a number of things. One, the kind of conversational interaction is particularly suited for enabling AI to have large impact. And so we wanted to start with an area that, you know, the stuff we're doing would have the biggest impact. But also behind that, there's this sense of, almost the inequality of customer service, depending on language. You know, if you happen to speak English, typically you have a much better customer service experience and a much better customer experience in general than if you're not. And something as simple as, you know, if I call British Airways on the English line, it's open 24-7. If I try to call it in the Portuguese line, it's open, you know, nine to five, five days a week, right? And that's a small difference, but it means that you don't actually have access to the same level of customer service just because of your language. And so this idea that how do we enable a seamless and consistent, excellent customer experience throughout you know, all the languages is something that can have a lot of impact. And there, what we're doing is empowering agents to be language agnostic. Right? So until now, the, the way that you needed to deal with uh, customer service in multiple languages was fundamentally by hiring people that speak the, that language. And this is really hard to do at scale because it's very hard to maximize the usage and to be able suddenly you start having a bunch of different teams and you have to take into account each team's resources compared to the needs that you have, which is you know a logistical nightmare. And a lot of times there's a lot of turnover and there's a lot of issues with it. And what we did was we said, look, let's actually enable throughout direct integrations with CRMs, so Zendesk and Salesforce and you know Dynamics and other CRMs that companies use, and focus for now on the non-voice. So we're still focused on text, chat, and email but do it in a way that me as a customer service agent don't have to really care about the language you're talking about. Like you focus as an agent, you focus on being an amazing customer service agent and you know, really understanding your product and providing that level of customer service. And we act, you know, we sit in between to make sure that that communication happens at a you know, high quality human level on both ways, both from the customer to the customer service agent and vice versa. And this, it's interesting because it's, you know, you think in a way this is a, a small change, but it creates a lot of very interesting impact in companies in the way they're actually tackling customer service, right? Until we came along, it was very expensive to do multilingual customer support, which is why only large corporations really did it. But there is no reason for any company to not do it now, right? Because, you know, you can have a team anywhere and you plug in and babble and your team can handle any language, right? Seamlessly. And so that changes also the way that companies think about structuring their customer service operations, it enables them to do 24-7 support you know, in all languages much more easily. And then one thing that we saw, which is kind of uh, very interesting, is it also enables them to maximize the effectiveness of their, of their workforce, which typically leads to a faster time to first response, higher completion rate, which leads to a higher customer satisfaction. Right. So 
what we were saying here is, hey, actually doing multilingual customer support is much more cost effective and it creates more customer satisfaction and a much stronger relationship with your customer because you're doing it in their native language, right? So there's all of these benefits. And you know, once you compare the core KPIs, it becomes a no-brainer, right? which is particularly exciting for us. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Liberty's leave policy was tremendous. Having the ability to take 16 weeks off, fully paid to bond with my child, was an incredible experience. At Liberty Mutual, you can find a career that supports you at every step, even baby steps. We offer up to 16 weeks parental leave for new moms and dads. And because not everyone's pathway to parenthood looks the same, we offer robust fertility, surrogacy, and adoption benefits too. Learn more at LibertyMutualCareers.com and pursue your tomorrow today. Sounds like more likely to meet the SLAs, have a lower total cost of ownership, right? Help all the enterprises uh, have success there. And, and I think when we're thinking about everything on customer experience, you know, with these tickets, as we went into a digital first world, everything was digital support. I, I recall many companies that said we're no longer doing phone support because all of our staff have gone into a distributed model. And that's provided um, the need for agility with customer service, as you mentioned, with the different languages, thinking multi-language support. I remember the days when I would travel and as I'd be seeking customer experience firsthand, it would be very challenging to communicate in another language. And recently I spent time in Taipei and was able to use one of these apps, the one you mentioned earlier, Google Translate, and actually conduct a conversation. Very surprisingly, to move through that conversation in the voice medium but it's not only voice it's non-voice you know using other apps to translate images from language there's so much opportunity here and it sounds like at unbabble you know you're working on a lot of these problems you have different products you have your portal you have comet you have maya can you share with us a little bit about your products that are helping to uh improve this multi-language or langop support for both voice and non-voice Certainly. And, and I think the three things you mentioned are part of our solution. So and Babel is a platform and solution for um, language operations, relies on multiple things. So the portal is really the product that the LangOps use to implement, manage, and scale the translation layer. This is powered by the underlying platform, which is the actual bit that does the translations with set of pipelines. And that's where a lot of the AI and human work is combined to provide fast, scalable, robust, and high-quality translations. My is actually something that we've launched recently 
which is a new framework to evaluate the quality of machine translation. So uh, typically what was happening pre-neural uh, uh, networks was that uh, the state of the art was something called Bleu for analyzing machine translation. But once, once you had deep learning coming and most of the models now are neural network based, that just wasn't sufficient. Like the, your ability to understand the quality of a model, it was very insufficient. And so we felt that we needed to come up with a better way of doing this and we released it to the world. We did it in open source because we want to be able to have a much faster way of understanding whenever we train a new model to be able to do it in real time. Hey, is this better or not? And should I actually be deploying this in a particular use case? And then Maya is an initiative that we're investing in to kind of take that to the next level in terms of agent support, where it's no longer just about translation, but it's providing all of the support tools for an agent from a language perspective to enable them to do a much more effective work. I think, you know, a lot of times my experience has been that there is this uh, simplification of the expectation where we say, hey, oh, it's, it's machine translation plus human. But AI is actually present in Babel in a lot of different ways, right? So Comet is one of them. As a, it's also a neural network-based uh, framework to evaluate machine translation. Quality estimation is something that we're one of the pioneers where you're trying to also train a, a neural network to try to make a determination in real time whether the output of that that particular output, that translation is good enough for if you need humans. You know, we have an incredibly sophisticated anonymization pipeline. The, the actual tools, the CAT tools for our translators are AI powered. There's, you know, like, and Babel's an AI first company. And so we always look at a problem and imagine it. What does it mean to be AI first, right? What's the experience for whether it's someone inside a company that is managing their translation layer and deploying translation across different use cases, or whether it's a translator, like what does it mean to be AI first? How can AI really empower you and augment your capabilities in the job that you're doing? And in the technology that is sweeping the globe, what we know for certain here in 2021 is that voice and non-voice, they are the new inputs for all our devices. Back in 2019, I actually spoke with Dan O'Connell, one of the board members for Dialpad, as they were bringing in voice AI technology. And it was fascinating to see the conversation rising with voice AI conferences and everything between both voice and non-voice. But beyond that, what we've seen there to where we've gone today is it's still just the beginning. And as we're continuing to experience the ramifications and the growth changes as a digital first society as a result of the pandemic, language becomes ever more important. Because as you mentioned here today, Vasco, you know, we're not in person. We're not able to use our body language and communication and have live interpreters to engage in meetings and settings. It's all being digital first. And whether that's voice or non-voice, that provides a lot of new opportunities for language operations. I wanted to hear about your thoughts on the language barrier, this language barrier that we're seeing in a digital divide or an in-person divide that we can unify. How do we create more accessibility and mindshare? I feel that, as you mentioned, digital first world that we're accelerating into, and despite all the very, really bad things that the pandemic brought, that's probably like the silver lining in terms of accelerating into the future is highlighting the need for that, you know, for the ability to overcome language challenges. So, for example, one example in this pandemic was Logitech. Uh, Logitech is a huge success case for us. And they are typical in the sense that they saw the dramatic increase of 
of the need for their customer service, which happened like there was COVID winners and COVID losers, but a lot of digital companies were COVID winners in the sense of access to products. And suddenly you had way more users uh, requiring customer service, requiring support in some way or another because of Logitech and you know with cameras and a bunch of other stuff that obviously everybody needs right now. That was a big issue. And when you think about where we are in terms of being digital first, it means that you know if they needed to hire a lot of agents across the globe to support all the markets, that would have been a logistical nightmare. Right? But using Babel, they had 300% increase in tickets that they were able to solve by hiring in one location and then not having to worry about language, right? And so um, this has been, uh, you know, like I love Logitech. Obviously, I love all our customers, but, you know, Logitech has been an incredible success case for us, but it also really highlights what's happening, which is, you know, this stress that external situations create and the need to overcome them in a very quick way typically is when it really enables companies to supercharge their change management processes, right? And to take on solutions that maybe before they were going to do it in a certain speed. And now they can say, you know what, this really solves our problem that we're experiencing right now. Let's just go ahead with this. And we had a number of customers for which this was definitely true throughout the, the pandemic. And I think what we're seeing now more than ever is you know, a lot of companies went remote. A few of them, it's unclear how many yet, but there's certainly a good enough amount that say, you know what, this is going to be the new normal. We're going to continue to be remote. Even if the ones that are going back to some sort of hybrid model, I haven't heard any company saying we're going back to full, like as it was before. Every company's, you know, at best saying it's going to be a hybrid model of some sort where there's more flexibility. And this highlights that, you know, the ability to access talent throughout the globe is changing, right? Because you no longer need to be physically in one place to be able to be part of some company that is digital first, which makes sense, right? I mean, like if I have a digital product that can be sold and experienced and used by anywhere in the globe, end up forcing artificial physical barriers because I happen to be in a location and now more and more that's not the case, right? And I think once that happens, the issue with language becomes even a more more of an issue, right? I mean, and, it, it, and I by no means think that we have solved all of it. I mean, like we were talking about this before, like it's very clear that even at Babel, which is a company that's focused on eliminating language barriers, everyone that we hire needs to speak English, right? Because otherwise we can't really communicate yet, you know, at the level that we that we need to do. So it's clear that those barriers are there. Now, I do think that, and, and you mentioned quite well, I think that voice and text are now the interfaces for a lot of the stuff that we do. And if you take an example, like something like VR, which is also starting to explode, that even takes to the next level, right? You're now really being able to overcome physical barriers, but still have some sort of pseudo-physical presence. And so the glaring barrier becomes language, right? I mean, if your appearance and location are not an issue for communication, then, you know, it's really, you know, the language that you use becomes the number one barrier for it. And I think we're going to see a lot of exciting things in the future, right? I mean, uh, you mentioned something like uh, Clubhouse, like, you know, you still have very apparent the language barrier in Clubhouse, right? You should be able to have people from all over being able to communicate seamlessly. We're not nearly there, but it's becoming very obvious that we need to, right? And I think I am particularly excited over the next 10 years because humans are particularly bad at predicting the future. You know, we always overestimate or underestimate, you know, it's the the very um, canonical, well, where's my, where's my hoverboard, right? We thought, you know, by now we'd have hoverboards and flying cars. We certainly don't, but we're more advanced in other areas, right? And so, I think it's more of a matter of necessity uh, that drives invention 
And I think the huge highlight in, in glaring pressure on overcoming language issues is going to help us to find solutions. And those solutions are not going to be AI only. I mean, we're not like AI only is not, it's just not there yet, right? So, but it's going to vastly accelerate whatever we can do in it. So that's particularly exciting for me. And so looking forward at Vision 2030, beyond the pandemic, you know, Unbabel being the world's translation layer, what are some of the trends and highlights you're seeing that the industry players and companies should be thinking about with language? I ask this because we see some of the big tech companies like Facebook and Apple talking about AR and VR and new devices that could become the new normal by 2030. So what should we start be planning and thinking about so we can be a part of this new digital age? So I think that um, if you look at the next two, three years, we're going to see a resurgence of voice. So in two years ago, we thought everything was going to be conversational, but more on chat-like interfaces. I think conversational is still going to be, like you mentioned, the interface, but it's going to expand more beyond text into voice. And we're seeing that through devices like Alexa and you know Google Homes, et cetera. If you look 10 years from now, I think you're going to see AR and VR really take off and enable a lot of use cases, business use cases that just make a lot of sense. So, you know, something as simple as this podcast, for example, right? I mean, if we had actually to meet in person for every podcast you do, it'd probably be really hard, right? Which I think was pioneered on media is going to migrate into a lot of business use cases because we were forced to do it. So I do think that business travel is going to take a little bit longer to come back. And a lot of it is never going to come back because there's a lot of transactional meetings that we can do. And as VR and AR really come into life, you know, the ability to have a seamlessly you know, in-person meeting through an AR classes, I think that's one of the killer use cases. And so I, I think in 10 years, we'll definitely have that. If you look beyond 10 years, I think another thing that's very, very in the beginning, but I am particularly excited, is a brain-to-computer interfaces. And we're seeing that with Neuralink. Facebook also has with Neuroprotonics project. And we're just in the beginning of the real hybrid connection between AI and humans at the brain level. I think it's going to take 10 years to evolve the interfaces to a point where you can start really tackling language with it. But when it comes to language, what I see in 15 years from now is you know, your Neuralink implant or whatever implant you're using will provide those capabilities, right? And so that will be native and you'll be able to use it in whatever form, whether it's AR, VR, or in real life. And so I think that's going to be particularly exciting. And so that's exciting for technology because this means you and I are going to experience a new world, maybe a little bit of this Ready Player One that we've been seeing in the movie theaters with Pixar and Disney coming to life. But taking it home to more practical to today, what's some of our call to action and next steps you have for our listeners on the show? So number one, if you're a consumer, don't settle for bad customer service just because you don't speak English. If you're a company, there is no reason anymore for you to not provide seamless customer service in every language. Right? It just isn't, right? Especially if you are focused on non-voice, there's really no reason, right? And, and so if you want to figure out how to do that in an effective way, how to scale your customer service across multiple markets, you know, you should be talking to us. I think that's an easy win right there is like, make sure you can talk to your customers in their own language because that's more and more the expectation and the benefits that it creates for your business, that it creates for you and the world are very tangible and achievable, right? So that I think that's like an immediate step you can do that, you know, wasn't really available until recently. So that, that would be my call to action. 
Fantastic. Well, Vasco Pedro, the CEO and co-founder of Unbabel, thank you for joining us on Humane. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. Did the episode measure up to your thoughts on ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education? Share your thoughts with me at humanepodcast.com forward slash contact. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review, and listen for more episodes of Humane. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.